We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale. Uh, I am in Vegas. It is Canelo versus Kovalev week. It is crazy busy for us. It is also Halloween. So we're kind of prepping for all our kiddos to go out and do the whole trick-or-treating stuff. And as we're recording this, we are actually watching WWE Crown Jewel. So if you hear the old man, Andreas, just burst out in laughter you know why it's already happened once <laughs> this dog yeah i mean by the time y'all hear this y'all will see what is going this Kane velasquez brock lesnar match has turned into this is ridiculous i don't know what is going on here it, it was like an MMA, it, it was an MMA, mma fight and then mysterio just hit lesnar with the chair and now it's a dq and it's over it just turned this Ray Mysterio just ob- trying to obliterate Lesnar with a chair, and Lesnar just threw him out. This is ridiculous. But so you know it's what? Like Kane tapped though. I see. I did, I wasn't. So Kane taps in his first match. Oh my god! Via Kamara, like I. That's not what Kane did on the Indies. What the? What is going on? This is so ridiculous. All right. Anyway. Well, I guess we'll talk about this in a minute, but I, I don't know. It's WWE. What do you expect? We'll talk about pro wrestling though, but we got some <laughs> other stuff to talk about first. Yeah, man, it's Halloween, so we wanted to kick off the show like we do every year around this time, talking about Halloween. Um, one thing that we saw on Twitter this week that was a conversation that really got me thinking. And you're more of the connoisseur to, you know, good horror movies. You were talking about this on your timeline. But what's the first movie that you can remember that really scared you? Oh, I'll tell you what it was. I know exactly what it was. It was Jaws 3D. Um, 
uh, when I was a kid, the first two movies I ever saw that I remember as a kid, and don't and wh- one of them I don't even know why it was in the theater. It was, I think it was like a re-release. Was and I ended up going to the theater with my grandmother to see it because there's no way I saw this when it first came out. Was Scarface and Jaws 3D. Those are the first two movies I ever saw. Not a cartoon. Not, <laughs> not Disney movies. Jaws 3D and Scarface. That's why my mind is so messed up now. And Jaws 3D, and think about it. I'm like three years old. That's how young I was. I was like three. And I'm watching a shark eat people with 3D glasses on. I just I was like three or four, and I just remember losing my mind, being so scared. But then I fell in love with horror movies. That, like, that was it. <laughs> Great horror movies against your grandma. <laughs> oh man, because yeah, grandma, I mean, those are the two. Those are the two first movies, horror movies. <laughs> my, my grandma's my grandma's theory is this. My grandmother's theory was, um, I'm not missing shit because of you, so you're just gonna go with me. That was it. I applaud her. That that's a a plus parenting right there. Um, for me. It has to be Nightmare on Elm Street. It was probably like <clears throat> the first movie I watched that scared me. Where I was like really looking at it. It gave me nightmares. To this day, I don't sleep in the dark. And it's all because of that movie. Like I don't mess around with the dark at all. So I'm still scared of the dark. Uh, if I didn't have to sleep, I wouldn't. Like Freddy Krueger is the scariest just villain ever. Because you can't sleep. It's such a natural thing to do. And he kills you while you're sleeping. So you can't stay up. It's just frightening. He scared the hell out of me. The one claw. And I'll never forget it. Like, I can't watch any Freddy Cougar movie to this day. And I'm a grown-ass man. 31 now. Can't do it. My kids watch horror movies every Halloween. I walk past, give them a nod, keep it moving. I love, man, I love, like, I love horror movies. Like, I'm just addicted. And, like, the Nightmare on Elm Street series is... One of my favorites, simply because, yeah, it's it was it's based in reality, based on something that happened like overseas with people dying in their sleep out of fear. Um, so it was an excellent concept. It got a little goofy after a while. Um, you were watching like the fourth one the other day. It's like my favorite. I watched it like ten thousand times. Like I'm dead ass. <laughs> like I watched I watched Nightmare on Elm Street four uh, like a million times as a kid, um, <laughs> because I was just the the concept. In fact, like Dream Warriors and the Dream Master were were great to me. But they weren't as good as the first one. It's just what I remember. And um, but yeah, Freddy became like a character. Like he wasn't as scary as he was in the first film. He just became this guy who had like smart remarks. Like I was watching Freddy versus Jason the other night, and I was like, "Yo, this was so stupid." Um, but yeah, man. Like I, I don't know. I'm a horror connoisseur. Like I, I've spent the last week just binge watching horror flicks, and Nightmare on Elm Street was definitely on that list. Yeah, you're wild. I'm definitely not watching any of the Japanese horror movies. I I made that mistake. Yeah, I watched the Ring, like the Ringu one, once scared the hell out of me. Can't can't do it again. It's so much scarier than the American one. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And the thing about like Japanese and Korean horror films is that they have this um. They 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 believe in like possession and demons and spirits and ghosts. And American audiences, for whatever reason, we don't find those things scary anymore. So we like we always try to find a rationale as to why a killer kills. And a lot of Japanese and Asian films and Korean films are just like because a motherfucker likes to kill. And that's good <laughs> enough reason for me. 
for me, I think that's scarier than anything else is that, you know, people like to, like the movie 8 Millimeter, I don't know why y'all saw it with Nick Cage. Um, the killer at the end of 8 Millimeter, they're like, why are you doing this? And he was like, because I want to. And to me, that's like the scariest thing because some people are just diabolical. So, yeah, I'm with that. I love no that. rhyme, no rhyme or reason. Yeah. Um, what are your if we had to choose three real quick before we get into pro wrestling and the ordeal that was this week in pro wrestling, um, three go to Halloween movies. And, and for you, it'll be horror, I'm sure. Absolutely. But three go to Halloween movies now that you've binged the past week and a half on horror films. Oh, man, that's tough. Um, Trick or Treat. The horror film Trick or Treat, criminally underrated. A lot of people may have missed it. Um, I don't think it was even a widespread theatrical release, but it is fucked up. Um, Trick or Treat is one. Um, I know a lot of people expect me to say Halloween, but I'm not uh, because it's too easy and it it comes on all the time. I'm going to say Final Destination. I'm a huge Final Destination fan. I think that's such an underrated series um, because you can't escape death. Death comes back to get you. Um, And I'll pick the first one. Because it was great. And uh, what is going to be? I guess I might have to go with, yeah, I'm going to go with Nightmare on Elm Street. I have to go with Nightmare on Elm Street because it's one of the greatest horror films of all time. I, I mean, obviously, there's like Poltergeist and The Exorcist and even like The Shining, but Nightmare on Elm Street just because I just I didn't want to sleep anymore as a kid. Yeah, that was definitely my scariest movie ever. You know what I watch on Halloween? I watch Hocus Pocus. I knew it. I knew you were going to say Hocus Pocus. I knew it. (laughs) Every Halloween, I watch Hocus Pocus. Um, I watch, oh, there was like, I forgot the name of it right now. It's going to be on Disney Plus. But it's with like the black kid and there's like a boogeyman under the bed. It's a Disney original movie. I think it might have just been called Boogeyman. Someone's going to correct me on this. But I watch that whenever it's on and I watch Harry Potter. Those are my Halloween movies. Nothing that scares me, but something that's just nice and magical. Boogeyman is low-key scary, though. Get out of here, man. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's, that's my reach. That's as far as I go out of my comfort zone. And a good Harry Potter marathon is all you need on Halloween. Feel the magic, Dre. Next year, only happy Halloween movies for you. No, I like people getting murdered, so I'll stick with that. Like, dude, I mean, I, I could keep your like, poor daughter. <laughs> oh, she's yeah. like, Daddy, let's watch Hocus Focus. You're like, Nah, nah. <laughs> nah see, I, I like like the other Sixth Sense. Um, damn, like we talk about Halloween films, like A Tale of Two Sisters, Ringu, Juwan, The Original Grudge, uh, Deep Dark Water. Man, Hocus Pocus, nah, man. Is Dark out. Water where they're stuck for like 48 hours in the ocean? No, no, that's open water. And open, open water, water. Like, I'm not fucking with that either. I don't know what yeah. genre that classifies as, but that scares the hell out of me because I can't swim. You know, that joint is like torture porn. It, it was just like, it's it's such a miserable movie. Um, not a bad movie. <laughs> it's just, you will never want to watch it again because it's so miserable. Like, it's just a miserable, miserable film. But yeah. <laughs> I don't want to watch it the first time. Um, all right, let's dive right into pro wrestling since we only have so much time for this show today um the biggest thing in pro wrestling this week and it was a narrative that really struck home for us on our feeds and a lot of people that we follow but i feel like it, it kind of spread throughout the whole wrestling community and, and that is ach going on twitter and pretty much bringing light to 
the shirts that NXT created, they created a bunch of shitty shirts like a month ago. And we all looked at them and said, these shirts are horrible, right? Everyone's shirts were pretty poorly made. But ACH, I don't know if we glanced over it because it was presenting like collage view or something. But he really pointed out like, yo, if this is what you think of me, then we got a problem here. And he added WWE, Vince McMahon, Triple H. And the shirt, which said whatever his new name is on the shirt. (laughs) There it is. Jordan Miles. And I get it. Smile with Jordan Miles, right? Like that's probably the gimmick they were going for. So it's like a mouth. Jordan Miles is in white with teeth. It is a black t-shirt and bright ass red around it, which unless you're stupid, it's trying to be a smile. Those are clearly lips. So then you put it on and you really look at it and you'd be like, yo, this is some racist shit. And we've talked about it on the show when the clothing company did it with the pull over the face thing and just so many other examples. And I don't know how we bypassed this when the shirts came out. But it came to light and it was like, no, that's some racist shit. And he really went to bat on it. I mean, I changed my av- my avi to like black and gray. I really saw where he was coming from. And uh, it goes back to our point that we always talk about. There's a fundamental problem in any company when you don't have any melanin in the room. Yeah, I mean, look, man, the narrative has shifted a lot. You know, people talk about... Uh... You know, Jordan Miles, ACH, whatever you want to call him these days. I'm, we're going to call him ACH because that's how I remember. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call him ACH. I'm going to call him ACH. Yeah. So there's a narrative that shifted where, you know, they said he approved the shirt. And, you know, then he doubled back because it was like two weeks ago and he saw a different design. And then there's the whole thing with him and Jay Lethal now. There's a lot of stuff going on with this narrative. But the fundamental issue that keeps getting overlooked by, by the naysayers which are mostly white people who don't deal with racism and have have been on my timeline saying that you look for racial issues. No, I don't. They, this is a racial issue. The problem is, is that you don't have any diversity in your company. And that shirt should have never made it to ACH to approve if that's what happened. I know for a fact, without giving away my sources, that all WWE uh, talent doesn't see the designs of the shirts before they go out, especially not in NXT. A lot of those guys don't see them until they're done, and they don't really have any input, obviously. So in this case, it should have never made it to, to ACH. It should have been one of those situations where there was that black dude that's in the room that was like, nah, that ain't it, Chief. And, and it would have been shut down from the beginning. We, we, we would have never got this far. I know people would say, well, you know, maybe he saw it on a white background, and then went on a black background. Dude, it doesn't matter. Like, if I, if I have a ghost outfit and it turns into, like, a clan hood— I'm going to spot that out and be like, that ain't it, Chief. Like, we're not doing that. The WWE's issues with racial insensitivity over the years have been paramount for this company. And for people to look at this and say, oh, it's just a simple mistake. There's only so many simple mistakes you are allowed when you don't have enough black people there. And you've done things like have Vince McMahon drop the N-word. You've had problematic characters over here over the years. You had DX and blackface. You had the Mexicans riding lawnmowers. You've had so many problematic things with people of color in wrestling, not just African-Americans, but anybody from another country or continent, that you got to be very careful when these things come out. And they weren't. So there's no defense for this. And then it's also the same week that this happens, whether that was planned or not, that Hulk Hogan is in Saudi Arabia promoting a network special with uh, like blood money and racism. Like, come on, guys. You got to You can't. This shit just can't happen. It just can't. 
Yeah, it's ridiculous. There's no other way to put it. It's it's ignorance on the top layer and then laziness just on the bottom layer. Because a lot of these are just laziness. It's like one person designs it, you send it up, one person approves it. And now working like at ESPN and everything and knowing like how our social media team is, we have an entire Slack channel where whatever you do, it doesn't have to be approved by people, but it's peer review before an editor above us can then go and approve it. So we drop it in the Slack channel. We just screenshot it like, yo, this is what we're about to put up. This is our copy that goes with it. Yo, what do you guys think? Looks cool. Okay. Do you want me, you know, should I really take this part out? All right, feature image good, cool. And then we send it to the editor. So the editor don't gotta be involved with like, you know, a ton of bullshit. Their job goes, they I'm sure are busy in their own right. I've never been an editor. You've edited several things. I mean, you know, been an editor for several companies. So you're probably swamped with stuff, right? So sometimes cool. maybe stuff gets overlooked. So peer review is huge. So we peer review it first, then send the editor the best copy of it we can, and then they make their corrections. Or they just give us the approval. I refuse to believe that, like, if they don't do this in a corporation like WWE, then it's just laziness. Well, it is. Again, it's one of those situations. Like, I've worked at multiple companies. I've worked at BBT, and I've worked at, you know, when we are champions, I'm at Sporting News. And there are places where there are a lot of black people, and there's places where there are not a lot of black people. And I've always been lucky enough to be in a position to say, um, I'm high enough up that when I see it, I call it out. Like when I see the bullshit, I call it out. For instance, over at Sporting News, they're the uh, you remember the uh, the uh, the wrestler that got his his locks cut, and that was like yeah. a huge issue. And uh, one of our social media people was just just didn't pay attention and had posted it um, saying that he did it for the team and that it was like uh, I guess he was kind of applauding him in the tweet. And I spotted that shit out immediately, and I was like, "Yo, take that shit down." We can't do that. Like, you can't. That's not for the team. There's there's a racist angle to this because why is he cutting his hair? Like, and, and we went through this whole thing. And it was like a quality control thing. And we reeled it in. And at that point, it even got through too far because I'm the editor of Combat Sports. This was, you know, social media thing. We didn't write a story on it, but I had us double back and write a story on why this was a problem. But that's because there was a black person there that goes, nope, that ain't it. You got to have that, man. Like, you can't have. Like I'm, I've always talked about being able to tell our own stories, and you know having diversity. That's why we did wrestling with stereotypes. That's why we're going to do fighting with stereotypes, which is going to be about race and MMA, and we'll probably do one on boxing with stereotypes as well. Is why black fighters have to be act a certain way to get over. Um, it's, it's it's our responsibility to tell our stories. But if you're not hiring us into those positions, and then these type of things happen, and now you're you know getting blown up on social media about it, it's your fucking fault. Don't tell me that there's, there aren't black people or any people of color that are qualified for these positions. Because that's bullshit. I mean, it's the same thing with the Portland Trailblazers posting their social media team of all white people. And people's like, they, they were the ones qualified for the job. You mean to tell me there ain't no black people qualified for a job for a, a lead that is a majority African-American? Come on, guys. That's just lazy. It's just lazy. And, and I'm sorry, white folks. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. Cut that shit out. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that in previous episodes when we, you know, go deeper into these issues and we talk about when they say black people aren't qualified for these spots or, oh, black people didn't apply. Yes, there's less. And it's only because of the way the system is structured. 
Like, I know if I didn't work for free or damn near for free for like four years of my life, I would not have the opportunities where I am now. And a lot of white kids or not even white privileged kids, wherever the hell you're privileged, whatever color you are, get to do that and work for free and stay at mama's house and go to college and everything's paid for. They come out with no debt. They, it's easy. So, yes, they're in position to get these jobs because they have four years of experience that is unpaid and they never had to blink an eye. But for other people who have to live and eat and may have families and children and all this stuff, asking them to go unpaid for four years so then they can stack their resume to get on this level and apply for the jobs is somewhat unrealistic. Yeah, then you're absolutely right about that. And and it that's that that's a that's a much deeper dive on like poverty and you know where we come from and you know our yeah. you, you know, uh, again it's laziness. Because you can yeah, interview that, people. If someone got six years experience, someone got two, interview them and see who's the best candidate instead of just saying, oh, you know what? Fuck this. I mean, again, it's just one of those things where, you know, you can't tell me because I see applicants at multiple places. And yes, there are white people that apply and there are white people that are qualified. But the reason why something like affirmative action was created was to ensure that minorities were in positions because, you know, it's not like. The reality of the situation is that we have to work harder, twice as hard to get half the credit. And that's just the reality of it. And it, people want to act like that we're, you know, racially on the same level. We're not. It's just that's just the way it is. However, there are excellent minority candidates for these positions. And if you are going to try to tell minority stories or if you're going to create con- like uh, marketing tools for minor- that target minorities, like fucking McDonald's commercials and shit with rappers, you need black people in the room to tell you that ain't it, or this is what you should probably do. Like, I'll, uh, full disclosure, at the zone, like there aren't that many of us there, but they do come to me when we talk about certain things. Like, to tell, like I'll tell the story. Like, we, Devin Haney was uh, getting ready to fight uh, in his last fight, and in New York, and uh, he was going to Dapper Dance to get outfitted, and. Bill, his father and trainer, turned to, like when I went and met with him, he was like, yeah, we're going to Dapper Dan's. Um, why aren't y'all filming this? I was like, because you didn't tell me. And I was, he was like, and our, our producers, they're, they're white. They didn't have any idea of the significance of Dapper Dan in the community. So I had to school them. And I was like, yo, you guys need to film this. And to the zone's credit, they were like, oh, now that we know, thank you for telling us. And they went and filmed him getting outfitted at Dapper Dan's. So we did a whole story on it and everything. But you need somebody to spot those things out and say, this is culturally relevant. This is who we are. These are the stories that you need to tell. And that clearly didn't happen with the ACH situation. There's no defense for this. And the WWE reaps what they sow once again. And you like you, you have to be sensitive to these situations. Forget everything else. People are like, oh, he, he called Jay Lethal and Uncle Tom. So that discredits everything. No, it doesn't. Because the same problem exists with that shirt. Whether he spotted it out, whether he called... Jay Lethal, Uncle Tom, like Booker T's now jumped in on this, like a bunch of that people. That didn't help his case, but yeah, I understand. No, it didn't help his case at all. There was no defense yeah. for that because you that was not the time nor the place to try to point out Jay Lethal as an Uncle Tom because they're now you're dividing people right in half that yeah. side with Jay Lethal and no that, that's a completely different story. You divided the, your supporters. That's what he exactly. did. He divided his own supporters. Yeah, because I'm not an advocate for that, man. Like, if you have your reasons for for targeting somebody that you wrestle with in a company for many years, have those reasons, but do it at a different time. If you want people to focus on a certain issue, focus on that particular issue. 
That's that was in terrible taste. But it doesn't take away from the fact that this shirt was even made to begin with. And that's what we have to talk about and get figured out. Yeah, it's crazy. And we'll see. WWE issued not an apology, just a statement on what went wrong. They kind of put the bill on ACH for approving it. Um, we'll see, like, sooner or later, what, we're three weeks away from a takeover? And unlike Vince McMahon, Triple H is very in front of the cameras and holds media days and holds conference calls. I would hope this is on the top of the docket for someone to ask him. I, do- I mean, I doubt it. Because, again, like, we have to remember that Vince There's not McMahon, many of us on these calls, though. <laughs> no, there's not many of us on these calls. And Vince is the guy who dropped the N-word on television with Booker T standing right there and said, tell me you didn't say that. For, I mean, it's, those you guys should remember this. Or the blackface thing with DX. Which is like, to this day, it's like, okay, it was a different time. The attitude era was a different time. But somebody looked at that and was like, nah, that ain't it. But there was nobody stopped Vince. Vince does what he wants to. Like, there was also, somebody had to remind me this. One of my coworkers reminded me that there was like these New Day characters that were in this, uh, this uh, it's like a WWE pro wrestling crate. And they looked yeah. like little Sambo characters. And they, never, they, they got stopped before they got mass produced. And I was like, <laughs> who, like who did this? It, ha- it continues to happen. Some of it is just racial insensitivity. Some of it is racial ignorance. Either way, you just have to be mindful of what you're doing. Yeah, man. And hopefully, I, I, this is not the last we're going to see of it. But hopefully we continue on the narrative and just continue to hold people accountable. And don't let the messenger dictate the message. And that's what a lot of people started doing with this ACH, HCH thing. People were kind of attacking him or, you know, just saying like, oh, he might not be mentally there or he might have problems or he's going off the deep end, all this stuff. Like, who cares that he is the messenger or whatever his problems may be? Like, I hope the best for the guy. But the message of the shirt remains. It was fucked up. Yeah, we got to call that out. Um, In terms of pro wrestling itself, Crown Jewel is still going on in the background. I have now seen that Cain Velasquez tapped out after about a 90-second match mm-hmm. that was like a shoot MMA match. Yeah. Um, I don't understand that. Like, he was a luchador before this, and that's why people wanted to sign him. Why are you bringing him in to just do a shoot match? Because that Saudi money is, is good. So, I mean... It's like this. This match was destined to be a car accident to begin with. There was no way that Cain Velasquez and Brock, Brock, Brock Lesnar Brock Lesnar <laughs> have a, a match that was going to be deemed like high quality given Cain's inexperience and the type of wrestler that Lesnar is. There was just no way. They just really didn't have enough time to put together a great match. But what I, I, I will say this from what I watched. It was probably, with the exception of the finish of Cain getting Kimura in 90 seconds, like a shoot MMA match was probably the best way to go because it needed to be a sprint. It didn't need to drag on too long and it needed to end quickly. I just, I just kind of find it strange that you bring Kane in to basically get tapped out in his first match. I, without any other prior matches, that's, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. like your job at the lesson. Like you kicked Lesnar's ass 10 years ago in the UFC. You murdered him to win the title. And now you come into the WWE to go to Saudi Arabia and you get tapped out in a matter of seconds. Mm. 
And then the schmaz happens where Rey Mysterio is like clubbing Brock Lesnar with a, with a chair. Then, then Lesnar throws Mysterio out of the ring. And I don't it's it, Again, I've said this. I don't know how many times I've said this in the show. These crown jewels and Saudi shows, they're like they mess up everything. They like ruin the narrative with these goofy ass storylines. And then you got to go back to TV after this and try to put it all back together and start prepping for your regular pay-per-view, which will be Survivor Series. And like two mess. Yeah, and it's like nobody cares. Because I, you spent so much time building up this dumb crown jewel match with Kane and Brock, which is 90 seconds. I can't imagine, as we're recording this, that Braun and Tyson Fury can last very long either. No. And nor should it. Like, no, if, Kane, if Kane is out of his element and gets tapped out by Brock in 90 seconds, then Tyson Fury should really be out of his element and get wrecked. But he won't. Because Braun Strowman is now the big show, thanks to you. <laughs> yeah, and, and this has basically become, and with the exception of NXT, um, this and WWE Raw and SmackDown have basically become um, bossip headlines. Like that's the, the like what's underneath the hood doesn't matter. It's about the surface of what you can squeeze into like an Instagram story or a, a GIF or whatever. So it's like Brock Lesnar versus. Uh, Kane Velasquez is like the headline that people are going to click on. The match doesn't matter. It's just the fact that you made the match. Fury versus Strowman is the same thing. Like none of these things really matter underneath the hood. Like the wrestling doesn't matter. Which is crazy because at at least you can pull a Bellator. Bellator doesn't hide that they're parading washed up old UFC fighters at the top of cards. They've embraced this. They know their lane. But you also know that they're going to stack the hell out of these cards underneath it. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I got to watch fucking Fedor fight, you know, and get ransacked. Or Fedor versus Frank Mir or some stupid shit. But underneath, I'm also going to get to see Patricio Pitbull have one hell of a match. Yeah, I mean, and, and with, with Bellator, there is no storyline. There's just fighting. There's not a whole lot of stories you got to tell from week to week. Whereas with WWE, they try to tell you this story, and it's like, I don't care. Like, the contract signing with Braun and Tyson was stupid. Like, the whole Kane-Brock thing, like, it, it was just, it was dumb. And now the, the match has happened, and now that you cashed out, you got eyeballs, because that's what you wanted. Like, I mean, for instance, over at Sport News, like, we're doing separate stories on the Fury-Strowman match, because that's boxing for us, and the Kane-Brock match, because that's MMA. We're doing separate stories on those. They're getting separate headlines. That's what the WWE wants. They don't really care about us talking about how great or terrible the match was. They just want the headline. And it works. Yeah, and it does work. That's really all they got. So it's shitty. I would prefer better matches on the undercard. We'll see. It looks like uh, Carrillo, Humberto Carrillo is going against AJ Styles for the title, which should be a really good match because he's a young guy who's been killing it on 205 Live, and it looks like they're giving him some type of a push. So that's helpful. Uh, I'll take that for now. At this point, Main Ross, I take what I can get. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, you know what? I take what I can get. Surprise me. I'm just going to be shocked when I get something good. And until then, we have Wednesdays. And talking about this Wednesday, we had NXT and AEW. And I've liked every show from both since they both went head-to-head. I think they're both really good. To me, 
this week felt like the first mediocre AEW show. And I'm not sure if I'm being too hard on it, but I wasn't like the tag match didn't wow me. Arguably, this was the worst match of any match they've had in this tag team tournament. And it closed the show. SCU winning. I was like, okay, Daniels didn't come back. Like Scorpio Sky is in it. Is this what you mean by giving diversity by a minority getting a belt, like a tag team title? We always get tag team titles. Um, so I don't understand that. The best tag team didn't win. And then to open up the show, I wasn't super hot on the opening match. Uh, the women's match did very little for me as well. Ambrose's promo was cool. Or Moxley's promo was cool, but it was a typical Ambrose one. And them leaning on the non-sanctioned, like it doesn't count on the record, whatever happens to Kenny Omega. Like, no, every every Moxley match is no DQ. Like, what the hell are we talking about here? Like, it doesn't add anything to that match. It makes me more excited when you make Moxley wrestle and actually get a wrestling match against the best in the world, Kenny Omega. Why are you bailing him out? So all this stuff led for me to think, like, you know what? This shit was mediocre this week. I didn't like the way they went on most of this stuff. Um, I'll say this. The women's match was poor. Um, I didn't like the women's match. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone could agree on that. Yeah. It, it's evident that the AEW's women division has a lot of work to do versus NXT's, which is phenomenal. Um, I liked the SEU Lucha, uh, Lucha Bros match. I, I actually enjoyed that match. Um. The finish with the small package was kind of kind of out of nowhere, but I think that's kind of what they were looking for because the Lucha Bros are Lucha Bros, uh, the tag team formerly known as LAX, and Young Bucks are clearly the three best tag teams. And I think them putting the title on SEU, who's still over, um, might be smart because I think just like everything else, they're going to eventually get the titles around the best tag teams. They just don't want to make it too obvious. And I, I didn't mind the match. Um, Orange Cassidy is like ridiculously over, and there's there's one thing that has to be said about AEW's crowds because those crowds are hot. No matter what happens, those crowds are extremely hot. Um, the Cody and Jericho uh, contract signing was cool. Um, this was I'll agree with you that this wasn't the hottest AEW show, but we I, like we knew this was going to happen at some point. Every show can't be the best show ever, but it wasn't a bad show. Uh, I don't necessarily. No, it like, wasn't bad. I just thought it was mediocre. If that yeah. makes sense, like it was yeah. mid. It was cool. It wasn't. It wasn't horrible. I'll watch it again. It's not Raw and SmackDown. Yeah. No. I, I mean, I think. I think it was fine. Like the NXT show was kind of the same, uh, but Candice and Io was excellent as we expected. Them working towards this women's war games is phenomenal. Um, Finn Balor. Yeah, I, I called that. Yeah, and it, it, it's smart. Going to the women's war games route is smart. Um, NXT has been, like, it was it was a good show. Like, they're, both shows have hit their comfort zone where they don't have to pull out all the stops for each show, but exactly. they are doing just enough to keep us engaged. And, and I think it was an hour and 20 minutes straight of nonstop women. Like, besides the Finn Balor promo, no one else was in the ring except for women for an hour and 20 minutes yeah. to start the show. And, and, and it's very intelligent of NXT to shine a spotlight on this women's division because it's just really, really, really good. The tag um, match was good, too. Yeah, exactly. Like, the Kabuki Warriors tag match was excellent. Like, what they're doing in NXT with the women's di- division is what AEW is doing with the tag team division. They both clearly have strengths. 
And, yeah. the and they're just flexing their muscle on their strengths. Yes. And, and, I'm, and I'm totally fine with this. Like, again, I think bo- as a pro wrestling fan, there's nothing to dislike about these shows. These shows are excellent. Um, and the Ballad Heel turn, obviously, you know, the, he's, he's doing the Bullet Club thing. Like, everything was smartly done on, uh, to me on both shows. Um, but, yeah, they're hitting their comfort zone. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. It's like, whereas Raw and SmackDown are, are, like, virtually unwatchable. I can't even watch these shows anymore. Yeah. I, I didn't watch either live this week. I, well, I, I don't anymore. Um, I've given <laughs> on like SmackDown. I really don't even watch the Monday now. I, so I'm like in no rush to watch it. And I fast forward through it. Like Raw, I literally fast forwarded through two and a half hours of Raw because I, I just didn't like anything that happened. I thought it was all bad. Ugh. Yeah, I, no, all- I, I watched that. I mean, I'm not going to watch it live this week because I don't have my three TV set up while I'm here in Vegas. So my my viewing is at a premium. And Raw doesn't make the cut. I'd rather watch football. Or it's Vegas. I'd rather go out somewhere. And that's that's the truth. Like, I'm not watching SmackDown tomorrow. We're going to day in Vegas. Exactly. We have fights all day, and then we're going to a festival to watch J. Cole. Like, sorry, SmackDown. You don't compete with that. No, not at all. And there's people who are like, oh, well, you know, the no, the ratings stink, guys. Let's just call it what it is. Like, SmackDown being on Friday was already a tough spot because it's Friday and people leave their houses. But when the shows aren't up to par, nobody's in a rush to watch the show. And SmackDown just hasn't been good. Watching Kofi get rolled up by Dolph Ziggler was ridiculous last week. Um, it's just, it's just, they're not good shows. The cuck angle closing raw, it's like, come on. They're not good shows. Forget about Monday Night Football. Forget about being Friday nights and saying, oh, the World Series, this, that, and the third. No, you, you guys are just not putting on good shows. Raw and SmackDown are not good. And that's why the Raiders are taking a dive. The fact that AEW outperformed SmackDown and people were like, well, it was on FS1. Dude, it doesn't matter. It, Dynamite beat SmackDown last week. Shouldn't yeah, happen. that's crazy. On any network. Yeah, it just, it just shouldn't happen. But, it's a but again, when the product bad. isn't great, when the product isn't great and you just force it into people's face, yeah, people run up. You know, we'll run into it, whatever. But when it is good, you can put it wherever and people will go and find it. It's not good enough for people to go and find. Yeah. Nor do people care. They're like, they went to Fox. They're like, oh, World Series. All right, I'm going to just stay on this. And they never cared to switch from the World Series to wherever the hell SmackDown went. Or they're just going to watch whatever's on Fox 5 at that point. Like they they started watching their, what, evening news, their 6 o'clock newscast, and just let that shit roll. So it's... That's that's just how it is, man. So um, we'll see. I don't know. I'm not watching that shit live. So I guess we'll watch that over the weekend. And let's talk about something we're actually doing this weekend that we're excited about. Canelo Kovalev. Big fight. Big Big fight. fight. I'm giving Kovalev more of a chance than most people. But we'll talk about that here in a second. We got to start off with Canelo versus Oscar De La Hoya and the reported beef. No, there's beef. It's not even reported beef. I, I'll tell you right now. There's beef. This is this is an issue. But is it beef? Like, is it beef when one person can't leave? Like, you could be disgruntled, but you can't go nowhere. Like, Canelo can't go nowhere. That contract, from everything I've heard, is pretty ironclad. Like, where are you going? It's an empty threat. I mean, it's not an empty threat. I mean, the thing is, Canelo's basically fleecing everybody right now. 
He's making $35 million to fight Kovalev, right? That's the opponent that he wanted. Oscar can't even tell him what to do anymore. So, I, so Golden Boy is still going to get paid because there is promoter. But there's like if, if even this week, okay. So those who pay attention to the Canelo fights, and maybe you pay attention to his translators, usually he has Golden Boy Promotions, uh, Gabe Rivas, who is their PR guy, or he has Ramiro, or he has somebody from Golden Boy. He doesn't even have Golden Boy translating for him anymore. He got his own translator. Like he is completely separating himself. From Golden Boy, this week, if anybody watched the press conference, him and Oscar sat next to each other, didn't say a word, nor did they even look in each other's directions. And when they took photos afterwards, uh, you know, Canelo shook hands with Kovalev, Bernard Hopkins, who's clearly still cool with, because it's really an Oscar thing, um, and Ramiro too, but Bernard Hopkins, you know, he's still cool. Oscar, nowhere to be found. So there's an issue here, because Canelo feels like Golden Boy did him dirty on the Derevchenko fight and made him lose his title. Um, He doesn't want to fight Triple G. That's been well documented. I'm not revealing any new news here. And that's what Golden Boy wants him to do. And he won't do it. So it's tough, man. Like, who is really in the driver's seat? Canelo's calling the shots. He's, He's bigger than the brand right now. And Golden Boy Promotions also knows that all they have are two guys who don't really like them in Canelo and Ryan Garcia. And so all you have left is Virgil Ortiz and Jaime Munguia, which is not a lot. It's thin. Thin, to say the least. Yeah, if Canelo bounces, I don't care how much they just gave Ryan Garcia. He's out of there. You, you can't mean, keep him, right? Like, it's just not going to work. Well, they, they, get, they signed him to a multi-fight deal. So he's staying. Like, him and Canelo, as long as Canelo's there, he's there. But an interesting happened this week. Um, Juan Carlos Martinez, I believe his name is, is trained by Chepo. And they negotiated with Matchroom, not Golden Boy, to get Martinez signed. And Martinez is signed to Matchroom with Eddie Hearn. So it's, very, it's complicated. It's messy. But there is I no guess men- it keeps him on the zone. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate, like... The zone, we are paying Oscar, I mean, Canelo, and in ways Oscar too, because we signed them both. Um, so he's not leaving the zone. Ryan Garcia is not leaving the zone. So it's a byproduct of Golden Boy Promotions, but it's ugly. Yeah, it's a, like it's a zone. matter of cutting out the middleman at this point. And that yeah. middleman is Oscar De La Hoya. And he's fighting yeah. to the nail not to be cut out. Yep. yep. So that shit's crazy. Oscar... Didn't even pose with Canelo yesterday after the presser. Um, Oscar, usually he's cheek to cheek with Canelo in those photos. It was just Bernard Hopkins. So it speaks volumes. You know, those little things speak volumes. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this weekend in the ring. Kovalev is stepping in there to challenge Canelo. Canelo's going up a lot of weight. 15 pounds is a lot of weight. Um, outside of Manny Pacquiao, miraculously, Power doesn't travel when you go up all these divisions, usually. So Canelo will have to lean on his boxing skills and his head movement, which is great. And, you know, Kovalev is aging, so he's not facing the Kovalev of five years ago. But even then, I think Kovalev has enough to make this a competitive fight. I don't see a knockout. I think he goes 12, and I think we say, damn, Canelo is in for a good fight. Now, do I think Kovalev can win? No. I'm not picking him to win because I think it's going the distance no matter what. I don't think Kovalev can stop Canelo. And I think the judges are going to lean towards Canelo no matter what. 
If Triple G couldn't get that decision, I don't think Kovalev is getting that decision at all. So I'm picking Canelo to win, but I think it's going to be closer than many people have it. Yeah, I, I agree with you actually 100%. I think it's funny because um, I said this, I say this a lot, a lot of guys. Like styles make fights, size doesn't matter, and Kovalev is absolutely going to be up for this fight. There's, if people look at, you know, this has already happened to Kovalev once, where a smaller guy moved up a weight class and took his title, and that was Andre Ward. And when he fought Ward, the first fight was incredibly close. A lot of people thought Kovalev won, and then he lost the second fight to Ward, who was, at the time, they were one A and B pound for pound. That's what a lot of people thought. And that was, that was the first time we had two guys in the top, arguably the top three pound for pound fight in the same weight class. And, and Ward won both fights. So then people were like, well, the body, you know, the body shot stopped uh, Kovalev, you know, maybe he's washed up. Then he fought a leader, Alvarez, and got stopped in the seventh, and people thought Kovalev was done. But the thing that happened is that Kovalev went to Buddy McGirt and got rid of John David Jackson, and he won the rematch with Alvarez pretty easily by using his jab and using his amateur pedigree to, to win the fight rather than trying to be the crusher. I think that's what he's going to have to do against Canelo. Because one thing that people forget about Kovalev, and this is something I'm actually going to talk to Buddy McGirt about before the fight in our fighter meetings on Friday, is Kovalev has fought two of the best defensive fighters in boxing and has figured out a way to crack both of them. And that was Andre Ward in the first fight when he dropped him and Bernard Hopkins, who has always been tricky to figure out. So Kovalev has already figured out. He knows how to deal with defensive fighters. And between his height and his reach, and the fact that he still has power, I think he can touch Canelo as well. How Canelo deals with that power is going to be something to be seen. And I think Canelo, we all talk about the body work, and I think it's key. I think we cannot avoid the fact that Canelo doesn't like, I mean, uh, Kovalev doesn't like to get hit to the body. So I'm picking Canelo, maybe a late stoppage, but I'm picking him by decision. But I think that Kovalev is going to give him hell for the first few rounds. I think it's going to be a tough fight. Yeah, I, I, I mean that's the key. Can he survive the body shots? And that's what you brought up, and that's the ultimate like headline. Canelo stops Kovalev with body shots, or Canelo wears down Kovalev, gets decision. Outside of that, that that's the only way it could go. Except if Canelo doesn't go to the body which would be the most shocking thing I've ever seen, but this shit happens in combat sports. Yeah, I mean, the only reason why you wouldn't go to the body is in fear of getting countered. And that's what Triple G had a hard time doing, because when you commit to the body, you usually drop the left, or whatever hand you're punching with, and you're, you're open for a hook counter. And Kovalev is not the greatest counter puncher in the world. Um, it, I'm not my, sure if he has the power anymore, in general. Uh, who? Kovalev or Canelo? Kovalev. Canelo still got the power. I don't know if it translates as well, but he's he's 29. Like he still has the power somewhere. If he catches him clean, he might drop him. Um, I don't think he gets a stoppage like a TKO, but uh, I think he, maybe he could drop him to the ground. Kovalev, I don't think he has a punching power at all anymore. I think he does. Power goes nowhere. You don't lose power. You just fight tougher opponents. And I don't like know. Andre Ward ate that shit like it was Sunday brunch. I mean, but Andre Ward was like, the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in boxing at the time. It, it, like, we can't discredit the opponents that he was facing. Like, I think he might have dropped Ward in the first fight, though. He did. He dropped him in the fourth round. He caught yeah. Ward coming in, and he dropped him. It was a yeah. flash knockdown, but he dropped him. And Ward hadn't been dropped to that point in his career. So 
Kovalev still has heavy hands. Like, the thing that Ward, I remember talking to Andre Ward about a year, right around the Alvarez fight, Ward was in retirement. And the thing that Ward told me that I thought was interesting was he said, Kovalev has power, but he's not strong. And he was surprised at how easily he was able to move him around. He was like, he can hit. He's like a strong puncher, like a powerful puncher, but he's not strong in the sense like in the clinch. You could feel certain guys are very muscle, like they, they can move you around, and Kovalev wasn't that. And that, that's what always struck, that's the thing that stuck out to me when Ward said that. He was like, he was like look at him. He's not like muscular or anything like that. He, he, he throws hard shots, but, you know, you can muscle him around. And Canelo's strong. The one thing that everybody's all said about Canelo is that he's strong on the inside. Like you can feel him move you around. Like you can't muscle Canelo around. Everybody has said that. The 15 pounds is going to be a thing, but Kovalev doesn't get much higher than 185 on fight night. Whereas Canelo has been 170 when he fought at 154 on fight night. So I fully expect Canelo to be around 175, maybe even 180. He's just eating. So I don't know if the weight's going to be that big of a difference. The power is the thing that interests me, but I think that Canelo will be able to, inside the clinch, move Kovalev around. It's going to be shock a lot of people. It's just a matter of if Kovalev hits Canelo on the chin, how is he going to deal with it? And I, I'm curious. But I, You're again, always I, a proponent of how does someone take a punch? Yeah, I'm, dude, I, I, my thing is when I watch people steamroll fighters, I've always asked that question. With Tank Davis, I ask it right now. I need you to get hit in the mouth one good time to see how you, how you react to it. Kovalev didn't react well to get hit to the body. And that's the thing that scared me about Kovalev. Like Golovkin, until the Derevchenko fight, Canelo hit him with everything he had, and Golovkin just kind of walked through it. So we know he could take a punch. Uh, Canelo, he's gotten hit with some good shots by Triple G, and he, he could take a punch. I was surprised at how well he could take a punch. So I need to see what happens when he gets cracked by Kovalev, whether Canelo backs off or if he continues to pursue. And that'll be the key to the fight. But either way, I think just, just Canelo's just he's too good. And after this fight, if anybody – it sounds weird because I, I had him losing both Triple G fights. He's still the, he's the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. If he wins this fight, there's, it's undoubtable to me. Crawford doesn't have the resume, and Lomachenko like, has a loss to Orlando Salido and doesn't have the resume either. Canelo has the best resume in boxing, hands down. No, I agree. I, I think he should be top one or two now due to the resume. His only loss is to Floyd Mayweather. Other people have losses to, to way worse. Like, Salido's not Mayweather. No, so not at it's, all. it's crazy. And I don't know why there's that that bias against Canelo. Because to me, his skills are getting better. Like the head movement, and you watch the clips of his defense, and he's smooth with it. The feet still don't move. But the upper body is quick. And he was making triple G move and counter. And I, I didn't think he won those fights either. But damn, he's skilled. And if he got it in the win column, then he got it. And the skills are only getting better. Yeah, people forget Canelo's not 30 yet, dude. <laughs> like, like what he's accomplished at before 30 is unbelievable. Un, like, it's unbelievable what he's been able to do. I think the, the biggest knock on Canelo, and I, I will cop to this as well, Canelo's been in a lot of close fights. Uh, Arisandi Lara, for instance. Um, obviously, the two Triple G fights. Uh, even the Austin Trout fight was close for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and then lost but, going away to Floyd. Right. Floyd, like the Floyd fight, just you can't even count it against him anymore. No, nah, the kid was like 23, 24. 
Yeah, he, he was a child. He was drained, and he fought the best fighter in the world. Like, you just you can't hold that against him. But since then, like, he's found a way to win fights. That's, that's just what he does. He wins fights. And I know a lot of people love Terrence Crawford. He passes the eye test, and I agree that he passes this eye test. But when you watch Terrence Crawford, who has he fought in comparison to Canelo? Canelo, if he wins, will be a light heavyweight champion. A light heavyweight champion. Crawford is a 147-pound champion who's getting right, ready to fight Mean Machine. And aside from that, name Terrence Crawford's biggest victory. Victor Postal? Yeah. yeah. Not a pound-for-pound pound guy. Did he yeah. stop Khan? Yeah, but who cares? Khan was I'd wild. Say, I'm just saying, his biggest fight, Amir Khan, because he's a former champion. And I, I think Bud is amazing. I think when Bud fights... The Sean Porters and the Errol Spences, if that, that happens, then we can say, okay, fine, he's pound for pound. But when you look at Canelo's resume, there is nobody on Terrence Crawford's resume that is on par with Arisandi Laria, Gennady Golovkin, now Sergey Kovalev, Austin Trout, which is Austin Trout's probably his Terrence Crawford's um, Victor Postal, maybe. Because Trout had beat Miguel Cotto and Trout was on a bat. But there's, like, Canelo has a Miguel Cotto on his resume. He has a Shane Mosley on his resume. Crawford doesn't have that. And Lomachenko, while he has passed the eye test and has looked phenomenal, is one of the greatest amateur fighters in the world. He lost to Salido in his first fight. He got dropped by Linares. And he, you know... Mm. Yeah. He's shown struggles or signs of being vulnerable as he moved up. Yeah. Canelo's looked better moving up. I mean, Canelo's now, got... He got, was younger. So, yeah, like, he, he only had one way to go. But he's looked better moving up. He's, dude, he's just a really good fighter. Like, if, if y'all have been following this show from the beginning, I always said that Triple G was going to knock Canelo out. Since then, I've seen this ridiculous improvement in Canelo. Like, I was the biggest Canelo doubter. I didn't think he was that good. My song has changed. I've watched this man fight, his upper body movement, his power, his skill, his ability. Canelo's he's he's going to end up as one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. If he's his not ability to take that punch. Yeah, man. It's, it's just uncanny. so many things. It's so many things he just does so well. And if, again, if he beats Kovalev, I don't think there's a question that he's the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. There's not. There's then we gotta start talking about is he one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Mexican boxers of all time. Um, yeah, there's a lot to be had there, but I think Juan Manuel Marquez, After this after this fight, he's in Marquez territory. Yeah, this Marquez, I mean, Chavez territory is really tough territory to, to deal with because Chavez fought like a billion fights. Yeah, yeah but, but but I mean, I think we're getting there. Divisions, yeah, like it's, he's going to be in the conversation. Yeah. And then he, at 30 years old, he'll be in the conversation of the top five Mexican boxers of all time. And then you'll start saying, but he's not four, but he's not three. And he'll start chipping away at that. I mean, again, he's, he's if he continues this, like if he continues this trajectory. If he were to... He has to become a unified champion or undisputed champion. If he clears out 160 with, like, what, which would only take him beating Charlo? Well, he had that to three. He's got to beat Andre, too. Oh, Andre. Yeah, okay. So you beat, like, a Charlo or Andre. If, if you could beat those guys, that takes a year and a half. If you're, like, 32 and you clear out the whole division you have all the belts, you're the best Mexican boxer of all time. Yeah, I mean, we start talking about where he lands on the on the goat list. Period. 
Like, if he were to clean that 160, he's not interested in fighting Andre at all right now. Um, but And I, I have a feeling that he's going to end up fighting Callum Smith next at 168 to be a real title holder because he, he beat Rocky Fielding for, like, a bullshit alphabet title. But if he does those things or if he makes a return to light heavyweight, if he fights a better beat, um, if he fights a, uh, a Bivol, like, if he better beats... Better be a gift hell, though. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. That's I don't a big, know. heavy-handed dude. But yeah, it maybe is. not. Maybe <laughs> not. But, but uh, we're talking about greatness here on a different level. We're not talking about just the greatest Mexican fighter of all time. We're talking about a guy who's going to enter the top 50 uh, greatest boxers, period, of all time. And he'll start climbing that ladder. We gotta, we're going to have to start removing that Mexican moniker off of him because he's going to be already up there. And we're going to have to modify that with just a GOAT fighter, period. If he keeps this up, he's still 30. Like he, he could pull a Roy Jones and get slow overnight and just start getting beat up. And that shit does happen. But <laughs> hasn't happened yeah. yet. You can start off real hot, cool off real quick. But no, I, I think with the state of boxing, how it is now, there's not like a ton of like elite people. He's in a good space too, where kind of 154 is now the danger zone. 160, he got there at the right time. 168, you got there at the right time. Like, who's the young, like, dynamo kid? No one in those weight divisions. Not right now. No one's his age. So you're catching people while they're aging. Andrade well, might be young. Andrade is young, but, I mean, there's all there's, there's the Charlo. Like, these fights will eventually have to get made. Somebody's going to have to figure it out because Canelo's just too good. Um, Charlo, obviously, uh, and, and, I mean, the fight... Then, I don't know. I mean, Charlo... Dominating surprise the hell out. I mean, I thought he was good. I didn't know he was that good. I mean, I think Canelo washes him. See, I think Canelo still wins, right? But I don't know. But I think you look at it as um, the Spence fight is the one that's going to eventually have to get made. Which is what I've been saying. Yeah, it's Spence at 160, and then that's the tough one. Because you're fighting a heavy-handed Floyd Mayweather. Not as good defensively. Nobody's good as Floyd defensively. No, no one's as good as Floyd defensively. Just naturally, like, athleticism-wise, I I would say he has the quickness to give Canelo troubles like Floyd did. As far as counterpunching. Defensively, yeah, he couldn't touch Floyd. Like, Floyd, when he didn't want to be touched, Canelo didn't touch him. So Canelo's going to hit. Even, I mean, anyone boxing now, no one has those defensive skills. He will hit whoever the hell he wants. But I I think the quickness of counterpunching... And really being at, able to outpoint him on the cards, I, I think that's the person who can do it. Yeah. I, I mean, we'll but, see. Because if at. you don't give Triple G those fights, I don't know who else is going to hit Canelo as much. No, like, if Triple G couldn't win those, who's going to beat Canelo on the cards? I just don't know. It's tough, man. It's tough. So, yeah, picking Canelo to win this weekend, I think it'll be a hell of a fight. I think it's going to be tougher than a lot of people expect. Um, it's worth watching this fight, period. No, I agree. Um, in the world of UFC, we have Nate Diaz versus Usada. Nate Diaz won. <laughs> Nate Diaz didn't give a fuck. He said, nope, I'm not doing it. Showed up. He was like, Yo, if you don't clear me, I'm not showing up. You're not tarnishing my legacy. They cleared him in two days. Which is ridiculous on, on a number of levels because there's so many other fighters who got done dirty by this, but yet Nate Diaz is able to slip through the cracks. That's kind of crazy, but whatever. I mean, I guess everyone else went along with what they said. Be quiet. Let's figure it out later. 
Nate said, no, like, you're not playing me. And no one knows their leverage like a Diaz brother, which is crazy. Because they're not, like, record-wise, they're not world beaters. No. But somehow they have, like, ultimate leverage over the UFC. They're road warriors, man. They they always come to fight. It's something to be said about guys who are enigmatic in terms of personality. They're unlike anybody else. And they come to fight. And because, you know, when the Diaz brothers lose... You know, there's there's always aside from like Josh Thompson completely ransacking Nate Diaz, like when uh, Nick Diaz lost to GSP, it was because GSP just held him down like a bitch for five rounds. Like that was his argument, right? Like, but when the, when you let those guys fight, they fight and they're entertaining, and people love you know we stock the slap. They love the, they love these guys, so it just sucks if you're not on that level. Um, and Nate Diaz has continued to prove his worth, even with his mediocre record, which is it's crazy. But, you know, it's what he does. He does well. Really well. Really well, which is, listen, man, that's big ups to him. Now he goes for a BMF belt. They're creating a belt. This shit's like boxing. This is worse than just, boxing. But they're just like, yo, let's throw some jewels on some shit. Where's, what's The Rock doing? Not Samuel which is odd. Like, you can't get Samuel like it's it's a motherfucking belt. You can't get Sam to hand it over. Whatever. They want the rock to hand it over. I mean, look, the BMF title is ridiculous because you don't have a 65 title. Period. Yeah, it should it should be the 165 pound title. Like that easy. It, there's no reason for it not to be. People waited for like these top contenders or people put in their position like, oh, we gotta see them deserve it. I think that was your case. Oh, they have to build out a roster and someone has to deserve, you know, being a contender for this belt. I think these two guys have earned it. Nate Diaz at this point is four out of his last five with a win over Conor McGregor, with a win over Pettis, dominant win over Pettis. Like you look at it, you'd be like, okay, this guy can fight for belt if there was this mythical 165. And Masvidal's been on a crazy run. So there's no reason for this not to be a 165 pound title. And to bump the other division up five pounds. It's, I mean, look, man, I I, I get it. Into again, it's it's for meme purposes. You got the Rock putting the title on the guy, but the title means absolutely nothing. Even ADS was like, I made up the name, so it's, I'm already the champion. Like, pff, who cares? Because what does it all mean at the end of the day? It just looks like some shit. It doesn't mean anything. Um, it's like half the boxing belts. <laughs> Well, yeah, like a lot of the, the WB, like all those WBC titles. There's so many, the money title. There's all these dumbass titles. None of them make sense. Um, but let's actually talk about the card itself and the main event, because that's what people want to hear. All right, let's start with uh, just one prelim fight, and that's the main event. Corey Anderson versus Johnny Walker. You're huge on Johnny Walker. Yeah, I think Johnny Walker's going to wreck Corey Anderson, and he's going to put himself on the short list for a title shot. Uh, I think it's pretty much inevitable. As long as he doesn't do the worm and, like, dislocates his shoulder again, he'll be fine. He almost tripped coming up the stairs today during <laughs> face-offs. He did. I was holding my breath. I was like, oh, my God, not again. Um, no, but you are completely correct. I think Walker washes him. Shout-out to ESPN Stats and Info for giving me the crazy stat. Johnny Walker has three straight first round under two minute finishes to start his UFC career. 
Like, no one's ever done four. So he's hmm. about to be in rare air if he finishes Corey Anderson under two. Yeah, so, I, think, I think he'll that, finish. I just don't know if it'll be that soon. Yeah, all three UFC fights ended in knockouts in the first two minutes. One of three fighters in UFC history to do this. The others, Vitor Belfort and Shane Carwin. Yeah, Shane Carwin was murdering people at one point. Good Lord. And Shane about? Carwin is the only fighter with three with to start his career with four first-round knockouts. Johnny can tie him yeah. if he gets it in the first round, but no one has ever done all four under three minutes. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I guess we were, this is a beat-the-clock challenge for Johnny Walker. Yeah, pretty much, because I don't think Corey Anderson is going to really hold up against him. Uh, no. In the opening pay-per-view match, Kevin Lee versus Gregor Gillespie. Whew. Gillespie is 14-0. I like Kevin Lee a lot, but we might have seen the best of Kevin Lee. I'm going to go with Gillespie to win this. Toss-up fight. I'm with you on this. Kevin Lee tried his, his hand at welterweight. That didn't work out for him. Um, he's had a hard time. Like it's, It just seems like when he gets close to putting it all together, it doesn't happen, and I feel like his time may have passed. And Gregory Gillespie is a guy on the rise. Um, he might even submit him. So, but I'm picking Gregory Gillespie to win this fight. All right, next fight, Derek Lewis versus Ivanov. Blagoy, Ivanov. Um, Derek Lewis looked great just now at this press conference. Um, he's trim. Looks smaller than me. So, an in-shape Black Beast? Sign me up. Knockout win for Derek Lewis. Yeah, this is one of those fights where they're just going to throw hands. I, you know, Ivan Alves is not a guy that's going to take you down. Um, you know, he's won a fight by a guillotine before, but for the most part, he likes to stand and trade. And it's kind of dumb to do that with Derek Lewis. He's going to catch you sooner or later. Unless you have, like, incredible technique, I don't think it's wise to stand there and trade with him. So I think Derek Lewis is going to stop him. So All right. I like that. Derek Lewis with the stoppage. And next up, we have Steven Wonderboy Thompson versus Vincente Luque. Yeah, give me Vincente. I, just because I don't know if Steven Thompson can stop anyone anymore. I don't. He's just fighting for fun. Yeah, Luque has been on a roll, man. He had a tough fight with Mike Perry that ended in a split decision. Um, prior to that, he, you know, he beat Nico Price, uh, Brian Barberina. He's got a few names, but I do think that we don't know what's where Wonderboy is at mentally, and the, he got caught by Pettis. Uh, you know, I thought he was going to be a champion, and he just seems like he's in the middle of the, the road now. Um, but I'm actually going to pick Wonderboy. I think he's going to catch a second wind, um, and Luke is going to get caught with something he doesn't see coming, which might be a head kick. Oof. Okay. Hopefully. Because Wonder Boy's another guy. One is one sixty-five, perfect for him. Yeah, but it doesn't exist. Um, then we have Kelvin Gastelum versus Darren Till. Man, I'm, I'm picking Gastelum. Like the way he pushed Stylebender, and then to see what Stylebender did to Whitaker. I mean, Gastelum. I've doubted him since his first fight. Since the Ultimate Fighter finale, like I don't know how he kept winning. He's just that good. And Gaston was like 27, 28 years old. Yeah. Stupid young. Give me Gaston. And until I think 
the jaw never lies. It never recovers. He's been rocked. I'm actually picking Darren Till uh, because the man was absolutely killing himself to make weight. I, I don't know what, why he was fighting a welterweight. I just I don't. He was a giant for that weight class. Every week during fight week, like when you come to the UFC Performance Center, every time he had a fight week, he was miserable because he was cutting weight. And he was very vocal about it. And we kept asking, like, why do you keep doing this shit to yourself? So now moving up in weight should hopefully help him. I, it's not that I'm down on Gaslam. I think everything that you said is true. I was I didn't believe Gas would ever be that good. Like when he beat Uriah Hall, the ultimate fighter, I was like, what? Whatever. But from now, from from this point, he has proven himself to be a pretty top tier middleweight. But I think that Darren Till might have a, the set of tools to take him out. Um, so I'm gonna pick Till with pause because you know you're right because that Masvidal knockout was pretty goddamn brutal. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and blame it on him. Uh, killing himself, cutting weight, uh, sacrifices jaw. And I don't know if Gaslam is going to be able to tap him on the jaw because Till is still very big and tall and rangy. So I'm, I'm going to pick Till in this fight. Whew. All right, cool. We finally disagree on one. Um, oh, no, I picked Vincente, you picked Steven Thompson. So we have a nice uh, little way to go split in the card. Main event, Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. I think we're going to get yeah. another split here. I'm taking Nate. So I've picked Masvidal since the beginning. And my I'm I'm starting to think as I'm getting closer to the fight, because I was like, you know, this is gonna be one of those fights where Nate Diaz, he's gonna try to walk him down, um, throws pity patter shots, and Masvidal is gonna try to load up and catch him. Masvidal throws a lot of things down in the middle as well. Um, very dynamic striker. The difference in between these two fighters is the ground game. If Nate Diaz takes Masvidal to the ground, this fight might be over quick because Nate Diaz is an con- incredibly underrated grappler. I, my, my issue is I don't know where Nate's head's at in terms of – he doesn't care about putting on a show. He just likes to fight. So if he sees Masvidal as a guy who's going to stand and trade with him, maybe Nate Diaz just stands up with him. But I, the issue is we got a five-round fight, and if Nate gets an opportunity to jump on you when you're on the cage or, or down, he's going to try to choke you out. It's just what he does. He's not a guy that seeks the takedown. He finds it, and then he's like, all right, cool, I'm going to choke you out now. That's what he did to Connor. That's what he's done to other fighters over the course of his career. Um, and, but it's going to take a lot to get Masvidal down. So I've been inching towards Nate as the day goes, days go by, but I'm going to still stick with Nate, uh, Jorge Masvidal by a, a close split decision. I think something's going to happen in the second and third rounds where people are going to have a hard time picking the winner of that round, and it's going to split the baby. But I think Masvidal will come out on top. See, I, I think Masvidal, he's had this streak of really finishing people and doing it very well. I don't think he can finish Nate Diaz. I'm not sure if anyone can finish Nate Diaz at this point. The guy's made out of something crazy, some titanium or adamantium, some shit. So I don't think he can be finished. And if you go five with Nate Diaz and don't take him down, eh, I mean, I give it to Nate. Right? Like, Connor dropped him a couple times. Maybe Jorge drops him, gets a 10-8 round. But I don't know. I, I'm taking Nate. And that creates some craziness with him and Connor McGregor coming up. So I, I wholeheartedly believe the reason why Connor's date in January hasn't been set, and not inside information or anything like that, but this is what I believe. It hasn't been set as Cowboy yet because they're waiting to see what that happens with Nate. And if Nate wins, I think they go straight trilogy. Possible. It's possible. So, I, I think that's the holdup. To me, there, there's no other reason for a holdup. 
Um, unless we get a video package in the middle of the fight, which could also <laughs> be possible. Because that's how Dana likes to roll. We just see a fucking cowboy Budweiser beer bottle, and then we see proper whiskey next to it, and they give us this crazy elaborate rollout. So yeah. anything can happen. It is the UFC packed fight week. We want to thank you guys for listening to another great show. Next week we have what should be a stacked show following up on everything that happens this week and a little surprise bonus episode next week that we're working on. We'll wait for it to get here and uh, come to fruition. Then we'll announce that. But a lot of big things happening for the Corner Podcast coming up in the near future. We appreciate you guys. So follow along with us on social media at the Corner LSN for all of these updates. Follow me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale on all platforms as well. Thank you guys for another great week. Till next week, we're out. Peace. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.